Pastor Ed Taylor says there's a better use of our time than arguing with other believers about the rapture of the church. Why believers argue over this, I don't understand. I don't see the point. Well, you know, Ed, we're arguing because we want to have the right doctrine. We want to make sure our secondary point is made. Listen, whatever you believe, live like Jesus is returning. That's my word to you. Whatever you believe, live like Jesus is returning. Stop looking for other believers to argue with and go share the gospel with unbelievers. That's what you should do with your time. Stop trying to evangelize the church. The church is saved. The world is lost. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. It's great to be back with you and welcome again to Abounding Grace. Pastor Ed Taylor will be along shortly to resume our new series in 2 Kings. Here in chapter 2, Elijah is taken up to heaven in a whirlwind. It happened instantaneously and Ed believes this is a picture of the rapture of the church. In today's lesson, he'll give us a helpful survey of this beautiful doctrine of the rapture, the next event on the prophetic calendar. 2 Kings chapter 2, we spent some time in our study last time being reminded of how important it is to be like-minded in serving Jesus. And we ran out of time, so let's pick up where we left off in 2 Kings chapter 2 in verse 9, where the Bible says, And so it was when they had crossed over that Elijah said to Elisha, Ask, what may I do for you before I'm taken away from you? And Elisha said, please give me a double portion of your spirit upon me. And so he said, you've asked a hard thing. Nevertheless, if you see me when I'm taken from you, it shall be so for you. But if not, it shall not be so. And then it happened as they continued on and talked that suddenly a chariot of fire appeared with horses of fire and separated the two of them. And Elijah went up by whirlwind into heaven. Now Elisha saw it. And he cried out, verse 12, My father, my father, the chariot of Israel and its horsemen. And so he saw him no more, and he took hold of his own clothes and tore them in two pieces. He also took up the mantle of Elijah that had fallen on him and went back and stood by the bank of the Jordan. And he took the mantle of Elijah that had fallen from him and struck the water and said, Where is the Lord God of Elijah? And when he also had struck the water, it was divided this way and that, and Elisha crossed over. So they come to that comfortable spot on the other side of the Jordan, and Elijah's heart reaches out in love and compassion on his young disciple. And he says, ask whatever you want. And Elisha, he asks for that double portion. What a heart to say, you know, what I've seen you do, what I've heard you do, I want that double. I want to serve God more than you. I want to be used double than you. I want to have that recognition or what we might call today that anointing from you, Elijah, but I want twice as much. You could say it this way, above all things, I mean, because you have to put yourself in, in the same place in order to really understand the scope of this. It's like, it's like what we studied before when God met Solomon and said, ask whatever you want. 
we really have to put ourselves in that position and say, okay, what if God came and gave us, or a, a spiritual leader in your life came and said to you, ask whatever you want? Imagine the thoughts that would go through, especially from God. You know, you have all your needs, and so maybe your needs would cloud uh, what you ask from God, and you might ask something personal. Or, or maybe you have someone in your life, and, and, and they're, they're, you love them so much, and they're going through, and you ask something for someone else. But are you in the place that if God was to come to you and say, ask what you want, you would say this, I want spiritual power for your kingdom. That's what I want. I want my life to matter double for the kingdom than yours. I want to be used in ways that would bring great glory to your name, to, to the name of God, twice as much. I mean, it's an incredibly selfless request. And yet at the same time, in his selfless request would be incredibly fulfilling for him, deeply fulfilling. He wanted spiritual power. He didn't ask for money. He didn't ask for notoriety. He didn't ask for safety. He didn't ask for any of the things that might, we might think of. He said, I want, spirit, I want double of what you had. I want to be involved in what God's doing twice as much. I want a power from on high that is beyond my own ability. And if, as we study the life of Elisha, you will notice that Elisha performs exactly double the amount of miracles recorded for us in Elijah's life. He did get double and was used in incredible ways. And Elijah, it says, recognizes this is a hard thing, something that he is unable to do. Spiritual power is not conveyed by a man. Spiritual power is only conveyed by God. That's why it's so fruitless and really leads to nowhere looking to man for your satisfaction and for, your, for approval. Because it's not man that gives approval, it's God. And spiritual power only comes in relationship to God. And Elijah, it says, he says in verse 11, he's taken up in these chariots of fire, these chariots with horses of fire. They're separated. Elijah went up by a whirlwind into heaven. And then Elisha goes back. And the very first thing he does is he experiences a miracle of the double anointing that God gave to him as the waters were split by this mantle that was struck. Now, verse 15, it says, When the sons of the prophets who were from Jericho saw him, they said, The spirit of Elijah rests on Elisha. And they came to meet him and bowed to the ground before him. And they said to him, Look now, there are 50 strong men with your servants. Please let them go and search for your master, lest perhaps the spirit of the Lord has taken him up and cast him upon some mountain or into some valley. And he said, you shall not send anyone. But when they urged him till he was ashamed, he said, send them out. Therefore, they sent 50 men and they searched for three days. And they just mark these words verse, at the end of verse 17. It says in your Bible, let's read it together. They searched for three days, but did not find him. And it's an important part of this part of the true story. In verse 18, when they came back to him, he had, for he had stayed in Jericho, he said to them, did I not say to you, do not go? Elisha's met by these 50 prophets, and they notice the anointing of God upon Elisha, the power of God resting upon him. And they also notice that Elijah is taken up and gone. But they don't believe completely that Elijah was taken up to the Lord. They think he was just transported in another place. And that was, by the way, 
the reputation of Elijah. That was the common thinking of Elijah, that, that he would just be taken up and then he would, be, uh, he would be taken away and rescued and then show up in another place. So this isn't an unusual practical thinking, but it wasn't the spiritual truth. I bring these out because those of you that are Bible students, you realize, as we've studied many times before, that this taking up of Elijah is actually a picture of the rapture of the church, the taking up of the church suddenly. And I noticed that the taking up of Elijah was not believed on by these 50 prophets. They didn't believe it happened. It couldn't have happened. We, we want to go. And now Elisha, he believed it happened until he was pressured. And they kept, no, no, we want to go. And finally it says, it says here that when they urged him, verse 17, till he was ashamed, like he was just, okay, go ahead and look. But at the same time, at the, in, in the verse 18, he didn't stop believing what happened to Elijah. He just got to the place where he says, go, go look. And when they come back, he said, I told you not to go. And he believed in this miraculous, supernatural taking up of Elijah. And yet there were people that didn't. Not only did they not believe it, but they, they would come against it and say, no, I'll prove to you that it didn't take place. I have to say the same thing happens today when it comes to the rapture of the church. The gathering together of the saints to Jesus Christ. And for us as a fellowship family, doctrinally, we believe in what is known as a literal pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture of the church. Now, it's true, and I'll say it, while it's true that I'm not interested in arguing with other believers about secondary things and making this a big topic of argumentation and, you know, we've got to spend a lot of time trying to prove our point, while I'm not interested in that, it's equally true that I believe what I believe biblically without reservation. And I, unlike Elisha, I believe so unashamedly with great biblical evidence for it. I do recognize and make room for those that may disagree. Uh, we're going to be in heaven together and I'm not going to judge you or get upset at you because you have a different view, but I'm also not going to spend a lot of time arguing with you about it. Um, think about this. Think about, the, th think about for a moment the, the devices of the devil to get believers arguing about the coming of the Lord. And so I can already picture one day people are going to be arguing about it, arguing about it, arguing about it, and the Lord's going to come back. And it's going to shock everyone. Hey, what are you arguing about? I'm here. I don't know how it's going to go down. I mean, it's going to be twinkling in an eye. And you're going, whoa, what are we arguing about? We're out of here. However it's going to take place, the presence of the Lord. See, you might be in, a, in an argument with someone right now. Uh, maybe it's, it's, it's ongoing or it's tiring and, and you, just don't, you just don't know how to resolve it. Now, while I don't have all the answers of resolving it particularly because I don't have all the details, I do know this. When you fix your face and your eyes upon the Lord Jesus Christ, it makes things better. It makes things better. Because the arguing and all that, get your eyes off the Lord and get your eyes on other things. Now you're following man and, and you're, just, you're not fruitful for the kingdom. Don't, don't forget that we're serving the king of the kingdom. And he gave his life for souls of men. And so I'm not interested in arguing about it. I'm not interested in trying to prove my point. I just know that many, many people mock the teaching of the rapture and have replaced it with all sorts of theories. Some have introduced a very dangerous doctrine as of late, 
Uh, it's only in the last 500 years, or a few years before that, where the doctrine is known as replacement theology. Replacement theology is a vicious doctrine that downplays the place of Israel in the history of God, in the history of mankind. And the idea is very simply of replacement theology, which is primarily doctrine of the Roman Catholic Church and, at church and Protestantism, um, the, the formalized Protestant uh, church. And it's simply this. It's the false teaching that the church has replaced Israel, God is done with Israel, and uh, God is only interested in the church today. It's not true. It's just simply not true. And Elijah here is taken up. And whether 50 prophets of God believe it or not, he's taken up. And, and the pressure was so heavy on Elisha that he's like, well, just go look. And just go look for him. And then when they come back, and go, no, we couldn't find him. We'd spent three days looking for him. We couldn't find him. Well, yeah, I told you, don't go. Because, I mean, think about it. Elijah and Elisha were together. Elijah, he, Elisha felt the anointing of God come on him. He watched the very first thing that happens. He comes to the Jordan. There's a miracle. Like, he knows that this happened. He knows. But because of the pressure around him, he gave in a little bit. And it would be good for us to pause here and get a quick survey of a portion of the teaching on the rapture of the church. So would you go over to Revelation chapter 4 with me? Revelation chapter 4. We'll look at a few different verses. But really a great introduction to the rapture of the church is here in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 1, where John is writing after the letters to the churches, the little seven postcards that Jesus wrote to the seven different churches there in Asia Minor. The very first thing that, that after the church is addressed in verse 1 is, after these things, I looked and behold, a door was open in heaven. And the first voice which I heard was like a trumpet speaking with me saying, come up here. And I will show you things which must take place after this. And then immediately I was in the Spirit, and behold, a throne set in heaven, and one sat on the throne. John here also becomes a picture of being carried up and caught up into the presence of God. And as the door is open, as John is taken up into heaven, what does he see? He sees an open door. It's not a pearly gate like some of the jokes that go around with Peter standing there at the pearly gate. Nobody's there cracking jokes. It's an open door. It's an open door in the presence of the Lord. And, and when we speak of heaven, where it mentions here in verse 1, a door open in heaven, the very dwelling place of God, when we speak of heaven, we're reminded that earth is not our home. Is there an amen to that? Amen. Now, not everybody said amen because you can get real comfortable on earth. <laughs> you can begin to adapt yourself to the earth. Uh, you can begin to plan everything for the earth. The earth has a way, uh, what we often refer to as the world system, has a way of distracting us, keeping us tethered to the earth, uh, keeping us tethered to the earth by money and debt and concerns and gadgets and, and commercials and, and flat tires and all kinds of stuff that's just binds us by the earth, and we just get so caught up in the earth and planning in the, on, on this side of eternity. But then we come to places like the scriptures. I mean, other than the Bible, think about this. Other than when you open the Bible in all that you do every day. So let's say today, you woke up this morning, 
took a shower, uh, took care of business, was there going, getting ready for work, breakfast, went to work, clocked in, sat down, did your whatever you do for work, uh, whatever noise you want to make for work, you can make it. So you went through and, and you went through the day and it went by really, really fast. And then you're kind of anticipating, should I go home and rest like many are resting today, but they're tuned in online? Or should I go to church and be with the saints? And, and, and other than being here, for, for some of you that didn't open the Bible, when exactly did you think about heaven today? I mean, you went so fast and, you know, you had all that deadline. You had that report you had to get in. Then you had that customer screaming at you and, and, and then you spilled coffee and then you had to change your clothes. I mean, think of everything that happens in a day. Everything that happens in a day. And if you didn't open up the Word or you didn't get a little bit of time on the radio or you didn't get any kind of spiritual input in your life, but the world just swallowed you from the second you woke up, when did you think about heaven? Now, if you're tra- are you guys tracking with me so far? Did that apply to anybody? Okay, so just if it applies, whether today or any other day, just think of it this way. What happens to a person where that's every day for a week? What happens to a person, just a normal believer, and I'm not even talking about those that don't believe in God, I'm talking about us. What happens to that person when that week becomes two weeks? And it's not like, you know, it's not like you're rebellious or backslidden. And you might even be in church like you are right now. So you get a little dose of church, but then you know, man, some of you are going to go back to work. I remember those days where I worked all day. I took a few hours off to go to church and I went right back to work and I worked all night. I remember those days. And it was just like constantly, constantly, constantly pay the bills and get everything. And then you, what happens to a person like that? Three weeks, two months, their spiritual life starts to dry up and shrivel up and you become vulnerable any other kind of input. You see, when he's called up, when he looks and he beholds, there's a door standing in heaven. It's wide open. We have to remember when we speak of heaven, heaven should always be on our lips to remind us that we are simply what the Bible calls sojourners. We don't use that word very much these days, but we're just passing through. It would be better if we all lived in tents instead of houses and apartments temporary dwellings, not more things that are more permanent that have foundations, but it would be better in our mind and our thinking to think of living in a non-permanent, in a tent, and then moving that from time to time where we're just passing through. Life is happening so quickly. Life on earth is temporary. It's momentary. It is passing away. And so heaven should always be on our minds. I was thinking of this as, as a question came up this week. I was just so encouraged um, as, a, as the Lord brought this scripture back to mind. Let me just read it to you as, you know, Jesus was speaking to his disciples, reminding them of heaven, reminding them of, of what's up ahead, that it's not just now. Listen, just listen to Jesus as he encourages his disciples. And maybe this is for you. It's just a word from the Lord. He says, let not your heart be troubled. You believe in God, believe also in me. And in my Father's house are many mansions. If it were not so, I would have told you, I go to prepare a place for you. And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you to myself, that where I am, there you may be also, and where I go and the way you know. And then there was Thomas. We have no idea where you're going, but that's a real thought. You know, it's like, what are you talking about? What are you talking? And heaven, a heavenly mind reminds us of an eternal salvation. 
You know, there's those that would say, oh, you're too heavenly minded. Now you're no earthly good. I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe you can ever be too heavenly minded. I believe it's the opposite. I believe the more heavenly minded you are, the more earthly good you are because you live with the right perspective. You live with the right perspective. This earth is not our home. So he sees a door and he hears, John does in Revelation 4, he hears a trumpet and he hears the voice and the voice says, come up here. And I wonder if that's what Enoch heard in Genesis chapter 5, verse 24. Enoch walked with God and he was not. Why? Because the Bible says God took him. It's exactly what happens with Elijah. God takes him. John was caught up, a great picture of of the rapture. And what a controversy this has become. Why believers argue over this, I don't understand. I don't see the point. Well, you know, we're arguing because we want to have the right doctrine. We want to make sure our secondary point is made. Listen, whatever you believe, live like Jesus is returning. That's my word to you. Whatever you believe, live like Jesus is returning. Stop looking for other believers to argue with and go share the gospel with unbelievers. That's what you should do with your time. Stop trying to evangelize the church. The church is saved. The world is lost. You see, I get a little fired up about it because I'm sick and tired of it. I'm sick and tired of people when I'm doing Calvary Live trying to snipe and troll over and cause arguments and stumble people to listen to the radio. Take it somewhere else. I mean, if you have such a strong conviction, plan a church and let me know how it goes. What kind of foundation of life is built on arguing? As a matter of fact, the Bible tells us to avoid foolish and ignorant disputes that lead to nothing. Take all that energy and go share the gospel with someone. That is Pastor Ed Taylor on Abounding Grace. And Ed, I'm glad you made the point we're not to argue about things like the rapture of the church, but rather focus on sharing Christ with the lost. And as you know, much of the arguing centers around when that will occur. Would you touch on that as we close? You know, Larry, this is one of those things in my heart and life and ministry as a pastor that brings me great frustration, and that is how Christians can bite and devour one another, even though the Bible strictly forbids us in Galatians to not bite and devour one another. We, we tend to dig in our heels and argue about things, forgetting the lost and dying world that's around us. And what I like to do is remind people of the things that we agree on. And the main thing that we agree on is that Jesus Christ died, was buried, rose again, ascended into heaven, and is returning at any moment. And the Bible tells us that that should change the way we live. That should bring us motivation toward holiness and evangelism to invite others into a life-changing relationship with Jesus Christ. And it's true, the things that we disagree with in the terms of the return of Jesus Christ, the rapture of the church, is really the timing. And we as a church, we believe firmly and biblically in a pre-tribulational, pre-millennial rapture of the church that will be followed by the seven-year great tribulation period that will be followed by the second coming of Jesus Christ with his saints, and we are firmly convinced biblically on that. However, what we're convinced more biblically is to be men and women of love. And so let love reign when it comes to this topic. Study to show yourself approved, wait for the imminent return of the Lord. I mean, 
be expectant and let that expectancy change you that you might be used greatly for the things of the Lord. Thanks again, Larry. That's a great question. And listening, friend, if you'd like to study this whole matter of the rapture in much greater detail, Pastor Ed has given quite a few studies on the subject. You can find them at calvaryaurora.org. Do a search for rapture. And you can also hear today's message, Elijah and the Rapture, there too. Again, calvaryaurora.org. Hey, do you have a stubborn habit you'd like to break free of here in the new year? Maybe it's filthy language or an improper thought life. We'd like to suggest a great book by Erwin Lutzer that can help. It's called How to Break a Stubborn Habit. You'll learn how to apply God's Word and overcome whatever is plaguing your life. We'll send it to you with our thanks for a gift of $25 or more to Abounding Grace. And thank you for remembering us in your prayers and giving to the Lord here in 2019. We rely completely on God to make all this happen, and we look to our listeners to help us cover the increasing costs of being on the radio. Call toll-free at 877-30-GRACE or go online to calvaryaurora.org. That's 877-30-GRACE. If you prefer to write to Abounding Grace, jot down this address, 18900 East Hamden Avenue, Aurora, Colorado, 80013. Well, there's much more to come in 2 Kings. Don't miss a moment of the journey right here on Abounding Grace with Pastor Ed Taylor. This is amazing grace. This is unfailing love. That you would take my place. That you would bear my cross. You Abounding Grace is brought to you by Calvary Church, Colorado. 